Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Is it possible that as of today, May 4th, 2021, as we march toward the recall election of Gavin Newsom, is it possible that the finest political message delivered so far came in the ad from one Caitlyn Jenner? Two major political ads released at the same time, one for erstwhile candidate John Cox, which focuses on a Beauty and the Beast theme, and not the not the Howard Ashman, Alan Menken version. Some new situation. Uh, and the other one from Caitlyn Jenner, which is Reagan-esque. I'm telling you. I mean, again, we're going to get into this a little while longer. I'll let you decide. I'll play both ads. We'll have our own little formal poll here. Informal poll, I should say. Uh, I, I am not saying that Caitlyn Jenner is the perfect messenger, but I believe Caitlyn Jenner has come up with the perfect message. This is an incredible ad from Caitlyn Jenner. And there's a lot of game to be played here. I ain't endorsing anyone. I want to see this play out. But so far, Caitlyn Jenner wins in terms of the finest political ad I've seen in years. We'll play it for you. You'll hear it. But Larry, does it have a bear? There is no bear. No, there is no bear, nor is there a demon sheep. So the the John Cox ad that you're referring to, Randy is referring to this, this giant bear. The Beauty and the Beast ad. This is the same brain behind the demon sheep ad, isn't it? From from 20, was that 2010? This is like producer's level of what's the worst possible idea we can have for a political campaign and still get paid? Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll compare these side by side a little later in the program. It's pretty good stuff, actually. We've also got tickets to Andrea Bocelli at the Hollywood Bowl. You guys were like jumping out of your seats to get those tickets yesterday. You'll have another chance today. In 30 minutes, we'll speak with Susan Shelley. She with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association because, uh, well, they want to raise your taxes, as always, in California. And Susan will also focus on the California exodus that we're seeing the real numbers on. Oh, and also check that out. Our friend Congressman Tom McClintock will be joining us coming up a little later in the program. Meantime, this is Teacher Appreciation Week. And boy, talk about tone deaf. Randy Weingarten, the uh, head of the American Federation for Teachers, one of the top lobbyists in Washington, D.C., on behalf of the Teachers Union, has uh, had lots to say here. And there's lots of revelations about Randy Weingarten helping, we talked about this yesterday, helping craft the CDC policies with regard to returning to school. Uh, that gives us an opportunity to examine exactly what's going on with our teachers' unions, why California still ranks last in the nation in getting kids back into classroom with in-classroom instruction, and then also talk about some of the alternatives, especially in the wake of this gubernatorial race that we're now about to have during the special election for the recall where will these candidates sit with regard to school choice? Let's bring in the czar of school choice. He is Corey DeAngelis, director of school choice over at the Reason Foundation. And he is. He's a czar. He wears a fez every day. Corey, thank you for being here. Good to talk with you, my friend. Hey, good to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Let's first start with this outrageous story that the the teachers union had a seat at the table. They the emails had language that was lifted right from their suggestions and put right into the Center for Disease Control Policies. 
The teachers union, the NEAAFT, they're not a scientific body, Corey DeAngelis, and yet they were able to lobby these policies. What is that all about? Yeah, this isn't science at all. It's uh, more of just uh, political science. And look, this really just reveals to the rest of the public and confirms what we already knew all along, that the entire school reopening debate when it comes to the teachers unions has been more to do with politics and power dynamics than safety and the needs of millions of families. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for all the families out there in California that don't have access to full-time in-person instruction. It's been over a year. It's is way too long. Families should, should have not had to wait this long. Advantaged families didn't have to wait. They were able to access alternatives right away, or at least they were more likely to be able to access alternatives because they had the resources to do so. Really, this whole debate has been more about what options should be available for the least advantaged in society. And the unions have pushed over and over again in order to have a better uh, uh, position in bargaining to, to, to fight for more resources for their members. They've really kept the least advantaged uh, behind academically, yeah. mentally, physically, and, and haven't really advocated for them to have the option of in-person instruction and everybody should have that option and by the way it's really a misnomer to suggest that they had a say in the cdc's return to school policies because the fact of the matter is this was late january early february um when when schools should have been moving back to opening and actually i would argue that the contribution of randy weingarten and the other members of the national teachers union they actually delayed returning to school they, they their contributions did not get teachers back into the classroom it actually probably delayed it another couple months yeah one of the weirdest things about the cdc guidelines when they came out that made me really scratch my head was the inclusion of the community transmission levels as a prerequisite for reopening the schools, which made no sense. A lot of people were pushing back on this right away because there wasn't a link between community transmission and then school transmission. And the positivity rates in the schools were by and large about a 10th to a 20th of the positivity rates in the overall community. So it was really weird at first. And now these documents from the New York Post show that that language was adopted by suggestion of the teachers unions. And of course, they want to make it as hard as possible to reopen schools. And, and they'd love to be able to point to the quote unquote science that, that they influenced to be able to say, look, the schools need to be closed. We just need more money to, to reopen the schools. Although all of the evidence also suggests that schools with more funding were not more likely to reopen for in-person instruction. Just look at Florida. They spend about 30% less than the national average, and they were the first ones to get their doors open for students. And then you have California spends about 40% more than Florida per pupil, but they also do have stronger teachers unions, and they've taken the opposite approach and haven't yeah. uh, had as much opportunities for their children. Meanwhile, and, and I think what's clearly most frustrating about this is here's you've got the director of the CDC, who is a political appointee of the president of the United States, and you've got two members of the teachers union uh, who, who the American people have no say in who they are and whether they're elected or how they have their power and influence. Who's there at the table forming these policies that represent the parents, the taxpayers and the children themselves, the students? No one. No one's speaking yeah, well, on their behalf. That's the problem. But uh, one of the silver linings here is we have in over 30 states now, not California, but in most states, there are bills in play to fund students as opposed to systems to allow families to take their children's education dollars to an alternative provider. Your public school doesn't want to open. Fine. You should be able to take that money to a private school or a charter school or some other uh, home based learning model. 
And so I think, you know, it is Teacher Appreciation Week. I think uh, we can thank the teachers unions for overplaying their hand and doing more to advance the concept of school choice than anyone could have ever imagined. Families are figuring out that there's no good reason to fund closed institutions that don't value their children when you can fund the students directly instead. So support for school choice is on the rise. It's going to continue to move forward. And the more that the teachers unions do to show their true colors, the worse it's going to be for them in the long run and the better it's going to be for parents. So a lot of the teachers unions were true heroes this year in in an inadvertent way Mm. (laughs) in that they have made the best case for school choice and provided free school choice, free advertising for school choice over the past year. Yeah, and it, it would. It's and again, as as I, I know, you've got your eyes on lots of state legislatures who have been moving this forward and moving it forward. But you've also got a governor's race in Virginia. You're gonna have a governor's race in New Jersey, and now you've got a governor's race in California, where certainly there is you know a, a dominant voice in the state legislature in Sacramento. However, if a governor can ride into office on a wave of enthusiasm over school choice and tying Gavin Newsom to the teachers' union and the disaster that students have had to endure for this past year, that could actually build momentum, even in California, Corey, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. A survey just came out by PPIC in California finding that 69% of parents would not choose their residentially assigned government school if given the op- another option. So most families want something else than what they currently have. And that same survey found that between 2019 and 2021, there has been a huge uptick in support for educational freedom in California, as well as the the rest of the United States have been three other nationwide surveys finding upticks in support for school choice. So again, although there's been a lot of negative things that have happened over the past year with remote learning and the push to keep schools closed by the teachers unions, there is this one silver lining that educational freedom could come to the rest of the United States. Meantime, I think it's very important to take a look at, uh, you know, get some insight into the mentality and the perspective of these leaders like Randy Weingarten, who speaks on behalf of the teachers. And listen, I, I know there are good teachers out there, but until they rise up and drown out Randy Weingarten's voice and actually replace her voice, then she is their de facto spokeswoman. She is the one who is on these phone calls, setting policies on behalf of teachers and doing media. And so she, here she is, Randy Weingarten, looking at a tweet from her from late last night. Uh, I think many people who saw teachers as glorified babysitters got a reality check this year when schooling had to be done at home. Boy, what a derisive, demeaning view that they have of we the people, we the taxpayers. To think, oh, oh, those parents, they just see us as glorified babysitters. Well, families got a reality check, all right. And that, that reality check was that they figured out that teachers unions prioritize politics and power dynamics over the needs of their children. And now they're pushing back for educational freedom. You don't want to open your, your, your grocery store, then I should be able to take my money to another one. And if you don't want to open your school, you should, I should similarly be able to take my children's education dollars to another provider. So families are waking up. That's the reality check that she uh, should be referring to. And we should rename her Randy Ratio because that tweet has already over a thousand replies and she keeps just stepping in it over and over again with her tone deaf uh, messaging on Twitter. Uh, she's, she's actually doing a lot of good uh, of good for the school choice movement. The more she tweets, 
the more she is mobilizing families to fight back. And and to that end, finally, Corey DeAngelis, because you're right, families need to fight back, and she is sort of this lightning rod. She she is mobilizing people to get out there and do it, and she gives people motivation to do so. What about those good teachers? I do believe that there are very good teachers. I hear from them all the time. They call in. We don't agree with this. We would do it another way. How can they organize? How can they take their union back, or for that matter, join this cause so that so that students have this freedom to be able to pick and choose and have school choice? Because ultimately, I, I know that the argument is, oh, that's going to drain school from the government-run uh, school system, which is true, and that tells you exactly what the problem is. As soon as we have mm-hmm. choice, we'll take our kids out of the system. But I do believe that if this is done in the perfect way, Corey, that will actually improve our government-run schools because competition will yep. always make things better. Absolutely. I, I will just say real quickly, the money doesn't belong to the government schools. The money belongs to the families. Education funding is meant for educating children, not for propping up and protecting any particular institution, public or private. Yes. But look, the, the public schools get better in response to competition. 26 to 28 studies find this, that in response to private school choice competition, the public schools get better. So school choice is a rising tide that lifts all boats. And five studies on the topic also find that the public schools start to pay their teachers more in response to competition, because in the current system, we throw more and more funding into the system, but it doesn't make its way into the classroom. And so teachers don't see any of those additional dollars. So I do feel kind of bad for them. But look, these five studies find that competition benefits the public school teachers, too, and that it gives their employer a stronger incentive to spend that money wisely in the classroom, as opposed to on administrative bloat and staffing surges. Corey DeAngelis, how can people get involved in this and really build some momentum? I think this needs to be one of the biggest issues in this campaign. Much of it is going to be about the pandemic. And one of the biggest problems with the pandemic was Governor Newsom beholden to the state teachers union, allowing them to basically write the policy in terms of getting kids back. And we see how that's turning out because kids still aren't back in school. How can people join this cause and actually push this issue to make sure that it's front and center? Yeah, one thing is CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. There's a ballot initiative that's going to come up in 2022 to try to get universal school choice in California. So that would be a great place to go check out, CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, but then also FederationForChildren.org. I'm affiliated with the American Federation for Children, and we push for school choice policies all across the nation, and I think we're the most effective advocacy group uh, doing this work today. So Let's fund students, not systems. And the best way to do that is to fight back. And I think this is the best time to do it. There's momentum all across the nation to fund students as opposed to institutions. Always good to hear from you, Corey DeAngelis. Thanks for fighting that fight. And we appreciate it. Thank you for uh, for bringing so much to the table whenever we talk as well. Great talking with you. Thank you so much. It is the oh, by the way, John, we're going to get into these ads. John Cox apparently has just concluded a press conference with a live thousand-pound bear. Randy, were you were you rolling on this? Do we have any audio on the on the press conference with the bear? Shockingly, John Cox's campaign can't set up a freaking YouTube channel. <laughs> we will try to find it because God knows there will be people who were uh, grabbing video of this, so we will share it with you because, well, because it's just too priceless. That's why with John Cox and a bear, Johnny and the bear coming up next on KPC. <laughs> I want to make it a lot, lot easier. It's the bureaucrats that do that. All right, we've got time for two more, Haley. Um, you're listening live to a press conference in the Sacramento area held by John Cox, erstwhile candidate for governor in nope. California. 
He is answering questions in front of a giant bus uh, emblazoned with Cox for governor. A picture of himself. Like I said, this is about and a giant bear. California in the here and now. The politicians all want to make it about something else. I'm going to make it about housing, homelessness, electricity. No, water. but he's not. He, I, I mean, I got, with all respect to John Cox, and we love it when he comes on the show, and he's a nice guy. But Education, he's saying he wants to make the campaign about housing, about, not the partisan battles of the past. Last question. But there's a giant thousand-pound bear behind him pacing back and forth you i have no idea what he's talking about because all you could look at is the bear and he did this on purpose so he said i want to stick with the issues and meanwhile there's this giant thousand pound bear walking back and forth stalking behind him like you know getting ready to pounce uh, uh ready wagger you see the yellow lines there is that like some electrified fence or something keeping the bear in yeah the, just the, in case john cox is separated from the bear unlike on okay. the bus ad where they're very close together in this live press oh. conference the bear is in a safe distance from john cox maybe it's a social distancing thing yeah. the bear is being fed treats by the way this is a sag aftra <laughs> member bear this is tag the is bear it, from kern bear. county this bear oh, has been in movies this right. bear has been in the tv show yellowstone and now this bear is being touted out for a failed political campaign. Well, I don't know if it's failed quite yet now, but it is. this is going to be a much talked about uh, t- a political tactic, that's for sure. You're right. The bear was just fed a little a little uh, kibble and bit there, I think, or something. But you're right. the, the image on the bus is disconcerting. It says Cox for governor, but honestly, the bear looks like he's about to gobble Cox, right? You can, He's locks, like locks on a bagel here. Looks like Cox. he's about to do something to John Cox. No, it is <laughs> It looks aggressive. It's a very aggressive scene there on the side of the bus. John Cox finishing his press conference. And again, wish I could tell you what he's saying, but who's watching anything but the bear? It's a giant bear. Uh, a, a, a fascinating strategy. Now, this is all because he is rebranding himself as the beast. The beast. The beast. Yes, the beast. John and the Beast. Gavin Newsom's the beauty. So does that mean yeah. that he wants to get with Newsom? What's going on here? Here's some <laughs> that's it is kind of how it ends up, isn't it? Um uh Emily Hoven, who writes for Cal Matters, has been covering this, says when the first press conference you cover in person in months is a recall event with a thousand pound live bear, you want to follow this thread. The bear's been let out without a leash. Has not uh, John Cox has not made an appearance yet. John Cox finally goes out, refers to the bear, says he wants to be lieutenant governor. And then he says, uh, put away your salmon and honey. Uh, California is beautiful. We even have a beautiful governor. So he keeps talking about how pretty Gavin, he keeps referring to him as a pretty boy. Have you seen this, uh, yeah, Randy? He's got a bird that calls him pretty boy. Yeah. So we have a beautiful governor, but what's going on in California is anything but beautiful. We need to recall our pretty boy governor. Over 2 billion people literally put their name on the line to recall him. They said, we can't take this anymore. I don't come from a political dynasty. My aunt isn't Speaker Pelosi. And he goes on and on. Oh, and then he says, "His own, my own background is pretty ugly. Says my father, Ed, uh, I didn't know my father, and I was raised by my mother, a school teacher. He says, I'm not a pretty boy, but that's okay. My wife thinks it's okay. And then says it's their night. What is going on, Randy? You know, the press conference just wrapped, and you can kind of see a look on John Cox's face. 
Like, what the hell did I just agree to? He rebranded everything, by the way. Changed his Twitter handle from the real John H. Cox to Beast John Cox, although now somebody has the original Twitter handle. They rebranded everything. They've got the bus. They did not buy the domain name BeastJohnCox.com, so somebody from the Newsom camp took that. That's unfortunate. Well, there you go. Beast John Cox appearing with a thousand-pound bear. Uh, meet the Beast, Cox for Governor, and um, we'll we'll bring you more from his ad and from his press conference, and we'll let you know if anything else happened with the bear. The bear's a beautiful bear, by the way. Um, and we're going to play you some of the Caitlyn Jenner ad as well, which I think is fantastic. Uh, that's all coming up, plus Susan Shelley, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Uh, keep it here. This never a dull moment on the Larry O'Connor Show, KBC. So no, wait. So let me just be clear on this. That's John Cox's new campaign song. I don't. I don't get it. I'm really trying here, and I love Beauty and the Beast. Well, <laughs> it's the well. I mean, listen. You got okay. Okay, giving the devil his due. Let me be devil's advocate on this, okay? Because you know politics is it's complicated and immediate time. When was the last time we spent this much time talking about the John Cox for governor campaign? That's fair. So maybe that's it. I mean, if, like, if your argument is any publicity is good publicity, sure. But if you check under the hood, there's just a bear there. Well, again, they, <laughs> that is, I mean, the good news is we're talking about John Cox. The bad news, it's really more about the bear. The bear, the big bear. The beast. All right. We're going to clearly, surely we'll have more to say about this and more revelations about this campaign strategy. Uh, and also, I really do want you to hear the ad from Caitlyn Jenner, which, I mean, I you know, listen, I don't have a dog in this race. I'm not backing anybody. Uh, I want to get rid of Gavin Newsom. Whoever does that is my hero. That's who I'm I'm thrilled with. But uh, Caitlyn Jenner has the message today. Incredible message. It's probably much more worthy of your time than a bear. So we'll get to that coming up in a little bit. Joining us right now, Susan Shelley, columnist and vice president of communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association. She also co-hosts the Howard Jarvis podcast, available everywhere you get podcasts. Susan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Larry. Great to be with you. Listen, we've been talking for you know years now about how the uh, the shape of California is changing before our eyes. We all know people, friends, family, who have left this state. And, and the Democrats and Gavin News, they've been trying to gaslight us, saying, oh, no, that's a myth. We're better than ever. We're stronger than ever. Well, now the data's in. This is California exodus is very, very real, isn't it? It certainly is. We're losing a congressional seat, and that has never happened before in the whole history of the state. We have never lost population relative to the other states, ever. So this is real, and all the people who are spinning it and trying to say that it's just a political talking point on the right are wrong. People are leaving, and as you said, we all know people who are now saying hello by email from Tennessee, North Carolina, Idaho, Wyoming, Arizona, Florida, People have left, and it's the middle class, I think, that's really leaving because the cost of living here is so high and the taxes are so high that people just can't, they can't sustain the quality of life that they once associated with California. They either can't sustain it or, and I make this case, and I know that you guys make this case as well at the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, it's like, yes, our, our taxes are higher, and, and that's why we need to hold the line on property taxes, because it would be just completely unlivable if it isn't already uh, verging on that. But the trade-off was always this this understanding, this idea, and I think the Democrats and most of the politicians, not just Democrats, most of the politicians has sort of bought on to this 
idea that that they can abuse us, they can overregulate us, they overtax us, but we love the state so much and we love the beaches and we love the parks and we love all the things that we get that we sort of rationalize it as citizens of California that, well, in the long run, it's worth it. But now they're not providing any of that. It's not beautiful anymore. They have ruined that part of it, too. So what are they doing with those tax dollars? They are just consolidating their own power and preserving their own careers. And it's getting more and more obvious that this is all about power and hanging on to it. And and they don't care at all about the people of California and, and the way that their policies are wrecking people's lives. They don't care. Now, I keep hearing, you know, obviously they want to keep spending, and the only way they can keep spending, unlike the federal government, they actually, you know, they can't deficit spend. They actually have to keep taking our money. And they keep arguing that because of Prop 13, you know, instituted back in the 70s, that it's archaic and that property taxes in California are out of whack and they need to do something about this. Otherwise, they're not going to get enough revenue. That's actually a pretty big lie, isn't it? It's a complete lie. First of all, California does not have low property taxes overall compared to other states. We're about 17th of, of 50 in the highest property tax collections per capita. What Proposition 13 does is restrain the power of government to raise your taxes. Before Prop 13, take let me take you way, way back to 1978, before Prop 13, the statewide average tax rate was 2.67% of the market value of your property every year. Could you pay, could anybody pay 2.6% of the current market value of the home you're living in every year as a condition of keeping it? Well, nobody could, and that's why Prop 13 passed, and that's why it's still supported by two-thirds of the state. And and meantime, though, they're, you know, you can never have enough money in Sacramento, and so now they're floating the idea, we're already paying the highest income taxes, and now they want to raise the income tax if you look at a lot of these proposals. Well, it, it, it can't happen. We're already at 13.3% top marginal rate. And if you want lower income taxes and you want to move to another state for lower taxes, you have 49 other choices yeah. where you can go and pay less in taxes than you're going to pay in California. And it just has to stop because it's not solving the problem. As you said, they always need more. They always want more. And what are we getting? Our roads aren't good. Our schools aren't good. Our, our streets aren't safe. What are we getting for this money that we're paying? Right. We're getting an entrenched political class that wants to hang on to power. Well, and, and in that vein, that's, that's you know, I know the, the pro-Newsome people want to write off this recall effort. It's just people angry about having to wear masks and that their kids weren't in school. And certainly that may be part of it. But there's something much deeper here, isn't this, Susan, in terms of the reaction of the populace saying enough is enough? I think so. We saw it with that French laundry dinner, the the recall effort, and this was the third or fourth or maybe fifth recall effort against Gavin Newsom. It just took off after that French laundry incident. And the reason that that was so serious wasn't just that it was hypocritical of the governor to go to an expensive restaurant. What What was wrong with that is it demonstrated that he knew it wasn't unsafe to go to a restaurant. He and his wife, without masks, in a crowd of a dozen or more people, went to a restaurant and sat close together and talked like normal people in a normal situation. At the same time that his administration was telling Californians to cancel their Thanksgiving plans with their families because it was so dangerous to have dinner with people without masks, it was that he demonstrated that it was all exaggerated. Everything he was doing was exaggerated. That was the problem with the French Laundry. 
Right. I mean, I mean, because if if he truly believed that there was this risk that he kept telling us about, then he wouldn't have put himself and his wife and his family at risk uh, exactly. by, by doing four that young, behavior. Four, four young children, and, and he and his wife are at this dinner that supposedly is so dangerous that the entire state cannot go out to dinner. Yeah. It was It was very revealing. Yeah, it was. And meantime, I think what also is, is often overlooked, Susan Shelley, and I try to talk about it quite a bit, is beyond the property taxes, beyond the sales taxes, and beyond the income taxes, there's all the rules and regulations that Sacramento puts into place that makes it so much more expensive for a business in California to provide a good and service. So even though you don't see it directly on your tax bill, you see all of these other costs embedded into the price of your products. So it's, it's gas, for instance, or food. There's a reason why everyone says the cost of living is higher in California. Well, it's not because of some magical wand someone uh, waved. It's because of the government intruding on every step of the production and delivery of those products and services. That's absolutely true. The, the state makes it very easy for lawyers to sue businesses, and so you're paying an extra an extra something in the price of everything for the fact that the businesses have to account for this extra liability that they wouldn't have in another state, and more for workers' compensation, the same reason, and more for payroll taxes. And then you have this hidden tax on energy and electricity and, and transportation fuels, which is the cap-and-trade program, which mm -hmm. the, the idea is if you pay enough money, we can stop the climate from changing. That's the premise of it. So you pay a little extra for electricity, for gasoline, for diesel fuel, and everything that is made or moved in California is more expensive because of it. And, and you're going to hear this a lot, though, when they start talking about raising taxes. They're always going to say, well, it's only the wealthy, it's only the rich, it's only the wealthy who are going to pay that. But I don't know, I, maybe I'm cynical, but it seems to me if you're wealthy enough to, to be in the upper stratosphere of income, You've already figured out and set up a situation where you're not going to get dinged by these things. I mean, they already know how to game the system, the wealthy, don't they? And I'm not trying to – this isn't a class warfare argument. It's just a realist argument. Ultimately, even when they say it'll just be the rich paying the taxes, ultimately it ends up being us. Well, it certainly is because, really, that's where the money is. Uh, I, the top 1% of filers in California pay something like – 45 or 46 percent of the tax revenue that goes into the general fund. So they are paying income taxes and they are getting hit very hard by these high tax rates. But where you really pick up the extra money is from the, the large number of people in the middle and, and the high tax rate on middle incomes in this state. And it's, it's very burdensome. It all adds up. The sales tax, for example, is 7.25 percent statewide with the local taxes on top of that, and that's the highest in the country. The highest state sales tax, the highest gasoline taxes, the highest income tax rates, we're destroying ourselves in California. This is man-made damage that yep. we are doing to our state economy. SusanShelley.com with an EY. SusanShelley.com is where you can find all things Susan. Again, she's the Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association and also she is the co-host of the Howard Jarvis podcast. Get that everywhere. Susan, always good to talk with you. Thanks for uh, thanks for filling us in on the latest, and we'll keep touching base with you as the recall effort goes forward. Thanks, Larry. Great to be with you. Thank you. It's the Larry O'Connor Show on KABC. It's the 25K weekday payday on 790 KABC. You could win 100 bucks and qualify for the grand prize of $25,000. And we, well, we pride ourselves on the number of winners we've racked up here at KABC. We got Merlin of Santa Clarita. 
She won during my show. Gina of Pomona won during the John Phillips show, which begins at noon. And then uh, Lorraine in the Valley, she won during the Ben Shapiro show. It starts at 3. They all grabbed 100 bucks, and now they're in the drawing for $25,000. Here's what you do. All you got to do is listen. Listen for the national keyword today, hourly, between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. It's the 25K weekday payday. It pays to listen, and it's easy to win. On AM 790-KBC. Okay, Randy, I'll give it to you. I think Beauty and the Beast is probably the best. I do like Lion King as well. Lion King is probably a fantastic uh, Disney animated feature, too, in terms of the... But, but there's a couple of songs in there that sort of annoy me and, and get on my nerves. But I do like the performance of Jeremy Irons as Scar. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Beauty and the Beast. Of, of them all, Beauty and the Beast is probably the best. Little Mermaid ain't bad, though. Oh, they're all great. I'm just saying the perfect encapsulation of a Disney musical yeah. is Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast. And that's why there have been so many new incarnations, including the Broadway musical, a long-running Broadway hit, as well as the uh, the remake. The, oh, we don't uh, talk about that. So, so you see, you don't like the remake of Beauty and the Beast? No. With uh, Hermione? No. What's her name? Actual actress? Hermione. She's Hermione. <laughs> uh so now I don't mind it. I don't like it as much. My heart belongs to the OG, of course. But uh, but what's it? So the whole idea was to open Beauty and the Beast up to a whole brand new audience, right? And I got to tell you, my 16-year-old, who is he loves Disney, he loves all things Disney, he loves that version of Beauty and the Beast. By the way, have you seen the live-action Will Smith Aladdin? Yeah, not a fan. All right. Now, I got to tell you, I was so predisposed to hate it. Meredith and I kept saying, not my genie, not my genie. Robin Williams or no one, not my genie. I actually really enjoy that movie. I think it's really well done. Well, I have a very specific issue with both of those movies, and it's actually the same issue. One, they add unnecessary backstory, like, uh, spoiler alert, Belle's mother died of the plague. And two... They had incredible songs written for the Broadway versions of those shows that they threw out and yeah. wrote new songs that sucked. All right, you're, I'm with you on that. They, they could have had Home for Belle instead of whatever. But you know why they do that. Oh, and also, um, uh, uh, If She Can't Love Me, the Beast's big ballad at the end of Act 1 on the Broadway version. No, you're absolutely right. You know why they do that? Because, oh, so they could submit an original song for right. an Oscar. That's, that's the only reason is so they're available or uh, eligible for other Oscars, which is, you know. What are you going to do? That's it. Hold on. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. There is nothing in the Broadway version of Aladdin that is superior to any other version of Aladdin. That's how I'm sorry. I love my Broadway shows and I'm a big fan of Disney theatricals. I know a lot of people who still work over there. Tom Schumacher and I go way back. Love you, Tom. That Broadway adaptation of a Disney movie was the absolute worst thing I've ever seen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. That is the 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 California Adventure that's, 25 you know, I, minute I, version. I'm, I'm confusing it with the one I see at Disneyland. <laughs> yes, that's great. The one they do down at, at California Adventure is fantastic, but the two and a half hour, oh my God, it was awful. And I'm trust me, I'm their target audience. Uh well all right, so Beauty and the Beast. But, but that, of course, the reason we're talking about Beauty and the Beast today is that John Cox wants to be your governor, and he's rebranded his entire campaign as uh, John the Beast Cox. And he's got an ad that he's accompanying with this way, and it has a thousand-pound bear who just appeared with him, by the way, at a press conference. And, well, this is what the, bad, the, air, the ad sounds like. What's happened to California? What's happened to our grand state that for generations led the world in livability, in innovation, creativity, ingenuity? What's happened to our state that's forced millions to flee? 
when once it was the world's dream to live in our sunshine. All right, so now so far, just yet, and, and it's juxtaposing images of days gone by with the beautiful beaches of California, juxtaposing with um, homeless encampments and people fleeing with, you know, U-Haul signs that say Texas or bust and stuff. But, and also interspersed in there are these images of this giant California brown bear. Is it a grizzly? I guess it's technically, no, it's a brown bear. Uh, it's a grizzly. Uh, you know, rampaging through the woods, coming at the camera. You can hear the growling and the starlight. So if you're watching this ad now, 22 seconds in, you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, but what's with the bear? <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> I get it. Good message. You're right. California is in trouble. What the hell with the bear? Politics. We chose pretty over accomplished. Pretty boy, pretty boy. We chose beauty over brains. We chose to continue a political dynasty instead of saying, stop, this ain't working. We need to choose someone who can fix this place. John Cox was born with nothing, never knew his dad. His aunt was not Nancy Pelosi like Gavin. John did not grow up at the feet of the multi-billionaire Gettys. John Cox is like so many of us. He worked his way through college, became a CPA young, then a business. All right, so it's a good, it's, listen, it's a bio ad about John Cox reintroducing himself to California voters, despite the fact that three years ago he was the nominee for the Republicans, and uh, I think California voters know him, and, and, but he's introducing himself, but it's all framed within this idea that John Cox is, in fact, a beast. Now, now, Larry, it's hard to get through the whole three minutes of that ad because it's a long one, but have you seen the tagline at the end? Let's get right to that, Randy. And your family. Recall the beauty and elect the nicest, smartest beast you've ever met. John Cox. There it is. Presented for your information without comment. Maybe a little comment later. And Caitlyn Jenner's ad, which I think is fantastic. That's coming up next as well. Keep it here. It's the Larry O'Connor Show, the nicest beast you'll ever meet on KVC.